Good morning, officially, everyone. Uh, this is Human Touch from Interact Studio. I'm Lou Solomon. I'm so glad you're here with us today. This is our bi-weekly mini Zoom free uh, series. We do it every other Thursday at this time, 11 o'clock. And our goal is to just enrich your day with some real conversation, um, informative, but also you know, a little inspiration during an unsettled year, this, this 2021 unsettled year. Now, Jess is our interview host uh, this morning. She does such a great job with it. She is our creative director, by the way, unless she's doing her gig at WCCB. She is the senior promotions producer there, and we just grab her up uh, any any chance we get because she keeps us looking good and, and just a ray of sunshine. We love Jess. Now, to set this up, I mentioned that the year is unsettled. We felt as though it's, it's important to speak with people like Chad Henderson during this year about the perseverance, perseverance to overcome the obstacles of pushback when you are an entrepreneur. And I, I'd love to see, Patrick, the, the slide on the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, this is not just for startups because there is a push within all of us that drives us uh, to self-express. And that means and includes the thought leader. You can be a thought leader within the organization a small business owner, nonprofit leader. My goodness, I know some entrepreneurs who are driven in the nonprofit sector, freelance individuals, a lot of folks doing freelance work, uh, creatives, artists. Uh, there is only all of us when it comes to the desire to be free in our expression. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. We also noticed that uh, folks, entrepreneurs run on passion and excitement. That certainly is uh, Chad Henderson. Risks the security of doing things the right way. I shared with everyone before we got started this morning, when I was dreaming of Interact Studio, I told a dear friend about it, Richard, who I remind this of today. And uh, Richard said to me, now, Lou, what do you know about running a business? You know, which that's the kind of obstacle you have to overcome sometime to be self-expressed and go your own way and do things a different way. Learning from failure, not turning around when things slide a little bit, never giving up. And certainly Chad Henderson is a person with the kind of perseverance to overcome obstacles to your true calling. I, you know, this is what we're talking about, not a job, a true calling. And so just with that, take it away. Well, hello, Chad, and hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. So Chad, so anybody, first raise your hand or give us a little emoji if you have had a no to beer before. I'm sure a lot of you have at least heard of no to beer. Yep. 
same i would like to have one right now i hope so <laughs> <laughs> um so you know life as a brewer it's not easy it's taxing it's it's physically demanding the hours are weird you have to keep like some hours going with the farmers chad tell us kind of about those early days of noda and overcoming maybe some of the maybe the haters who didn't think you could do it <laughs> all right thank you and hello also to, to everybody there um, yeah, it's definitely not a, as much of a sexy rock star job as a lot of people think it could be. I don't know. Like, I'm only 23 years old, if you're not asking. <laughs> I'm not. I'm saying it does definitely take a physical toll, though. Uh, the first early years that we were operating was a lot of uh, physical and mental tolling because we didn't really have a whole lot of people to, to lean on here in the Charlotte uh, area that had done what we had already done. There had basically only been one currently still operating brewery. Uh, at that time being old Mecklenburg, which we, which was a great resource for us to, to touch in on, but there wasn't a whole lot beyond that, that we really knew exactly what the right way to do. We were just a bunch of homebrewers and, 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 uh, and enthusiastic beer people that really wanted to get something up and running that we thought had legs to stand on. And, uh, you know, uh, you kind of have to take, you know, with, which like the side just said, where you don't, you have to learn from failure. You have to think too, that fa failure is not fatal. You know, it only is if you let it stop your progression going forward. And every time you get a success, the success isn't a, uh, isn't final. You know, every time you make something go forward, you have to then look for the next thing to drive it forward and whatnot. And we kind of had that mentality because we really did approach this company uh, myself. I'm a co-owner and the head brewer and, uh, and the two co-founders, which are husband and wife team. We looked at it as this is no, there is no plan B. We have to do what has to get done. And that meant sleeping on the floor uh multiple nights of the week for the first you know year and a half two years because we had to get stuff up and running or, or fix a problem early in the morning or i was just there really late at night uh i got to the point where I, I got rid of my cot that i used to sleep on because it was too comfortable and i wouldn't wake up at 2 a.m to start doing what i had to do uh or like you know if i only had 30 minutes i would sleep through the alarm so i would just take clothes that i had to change into and lay my head on a pile of clothes and put my phone that would go on the alarm on my chest so they would vibrate and wake me up uh, doing stuff like that, working over 24 hour shifts, you know, when it had to get done, you know, all those sorts of things happen because you don't really know how to approach this next thing, but you believe that the thing that you're trying to do is worth doing, whether it be doing our first bit of canning, uh, doing our first types of uh, multiple batches during the day to try to meet volume demands and whatnot, or, or try to do a new process that we hoped would go one way, but would go completely south, like all those sorts of things, you know, that you're not sure of, you know, that can be daunting and honestly, pretty high risk you kind of have to just say like it doesn't matter what the risk is like as long as you know we're able to still kick through it and, and, and push through we're going to do what we have to do for it and uh i think that i wanted this this position i wanted this career so badly that i kind of felt like i was obligated to do the worst of the worst to prove that i wanted to do it so when it came down to building out the building itself and working with really minimal contractors and doing things i've never done before especially in construction and sledgehammering stuff from like you know the the moment the sun came up to the moment we couldn't see what we were slinging sledgehammers against you know like all those sorts of things i was i felt you know it was extremely tolling but at the same time i felt i was earning the 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 honor of being able to be head brewer of, of a project that i really felt had a lot of uh, a lot of momentum going forward yeah i don't think a lot the, of people uh, the realize the uh, physical work you did and actually physically starting no to brewing like you know we know that you're the brewer but you actually were on the floor 
getting the building in order and all of the tanks and everything from the get go. Yeah, it was it was a it was a you know all hands on deck pretty much for the entire thing. And uh, you know, we, a lot of people think that we're a really large company now. And I guess uh, you know, relative to the area, we are a large brewery. We have over sixty employees now, but we started out with six. You know, and that included our our bartenders and sales staff and co-owners and and uh, and you know, we had to do everything pretty much on our own uh, to to try to make it fit in the budget to start out with. And uh, yeah, it was just it was a huge physical toll, and and, and it's all this stuff that we'd never done before. You know, we didn't we didn't we never moved you know tanks that are you know twenty feet tall. You know, around you know just trying to figure out how to move them into a slab and whatnot that we had just laid a couple you know days prior to. So. There's a ton of things you kind of have to learn on the fly, but if you're willing to to dig deep and do what do what it takes to get it done, you know something that you hope takes an hour might take a day, but ultimately if it gets done, it gets done, and that's the satisfaction knowing that like you now learned that thing, and now the next time that happens, maybe you can make it happen in an hour or or two hours or some fraction of what uh, you had to do. But you have to you have to constantly learn those things and building a company out. Uh, it doesn't only fit just for a brewery that, you know, takes a lot of physical toll to get it done. It's, it's any sort of company that if you don't have, if you think, it, if you believe in what you need to do, what you can contribute to it, and you don't have all the know-how on how to work it out, you just pull from every resource that you can to get it done. And I think that flexibility and that learning uh, potential applies to once you are up and running and whatnot. Because one of the biggest things, especially in the, the craft beer industry or any industry where, where it's kind of have a high level of evolution to it you have to be able to change with what every season and whatever year is is putting out there you know like you have to be able to evolve what your company puts out so that you stay relevant you know we're coming into 10 years right now and we are still growing and still developing you know one-off brands that people get really hyped about you know and, and you know we keep winning awards every year and whatnot that are for different brands that we come out that are brand new we want to uh, Great American Beer Festival medal this year for our Maybach. And that was the first Maybach I ever brewed, even as a homebrewer. I had never brewed one before. And it's just, you know, you have to take lessons learned and apply them, you know, and hopefully reap the benefit from it. Were there some unique lessons that you learned over the past year dealing with COVID-19 that have stood out to you that you felt like, oh man, I really, that was a hard one. And I overcame it. Like that was, it was tough. It's been tough for a yeah. lot of breweries, I'm sure. Yeah, it's been really tough uh, for, for, I mean, just, just about every industry has had a really hard time, uh, whether from being overtaxed or not being able to do what they need to do. Um, with us, the most frustrating thing was that it was so many rapid alterations on what we were allowed to do, what was considered safe, what was considered not safe. We were very fortunate that we were considered to be an essential uh, uh, business because we were still considered in like grocery providing because um, you got to get beer and bread in there, you know, but, uh, but you know, we, we had to still adjust how we did everything and the, and the social distancing and, you know, every sort of safety precaution that we had, but then, then it would change to, you know, our tap room couldn't operate. Now that was a, you know, a major uh, event that we had to adjust and pivot. I know pivot gets used a ton and whatnot, but we had to adjust how we ran things and change things to a drive-through only. You know, and uh, and I think the biggest lesson I learned through all of it, because there were so many strange alterations that happened and, you know, our business is, uh, is about 50-50 kegs and cans. And then overnight, we had to then push to 98% cans and 2% kegs because so many restaurants had to shut down. 
So that was a huge adjustment to how we scheduled everybody, how we staffed everything, the amount of time, how, how we were going to try to plan our brewing schedules. The biggest lesson I learned from all of it is that when obstacles present themselves, you have to treat it as opportunities to succeed at them as opposed to an obstacle. So if, if you look at things that come in like, hey, business isn't going to be usual anymore, and you th- this thing throws, is thrown into your, your lap, instead of thinking of like an obstacle that stopped you from being able to do it, you have to look at it as an opportunity to see how you can get creative to still succeed in what you're trying to pull out. And sometimes that, you know, it, it takes more uh, of a climb to get over it. And, you know, unfortunately, it depends on the situation. But I think that mentality has, that's been more of a reassuring mentality than any other lesson, I think, so far uh, as a company in general is to realize that when things don't go the way you want them to go, it's not a time to panic. It's a time we have a, we have a fundamental that we use over here. That's don't focus on the problem, focus on the solution. You know, so when something happens, it's like, all right, this is going on. What are we going to do to get to where we need to go on instead of focusing on this thing that's negatively affecting us? Right. So applicable to any, any job, not just, you know, brewing in the restaurant industry. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, did you grow up with this dream of becoming like a craft brewer or is this something you worked on in college? Tell us a little bit about your background there and what was the catalyst for you becoming a brewer? <laughs> I always joke that I did extensive research in college for it. Um, but, uh, uh, I, actually, no, I, I didn't drink at all uh, until I got to college and I had no interest in alcohol until I was in college or, you know, how alcoholic beverages were made. Uh, both my parents uh, were, uh, it still are, don't, uh, don't drink at all. So we grew up in a world where it just, it, it really wasn't a factor in it. Um, and when I was in school, I started to, you know, like enjoy alcoholic beverages and whatnot, but I never really cared anything about beer uh, and beer, you know, to a college kid's perspective is just kind of like the, the cheaper, weaker soda sort of version of alcohol. And I didn't really think of it as anything more than like it's made in a factory, just like any sort of soda is or anything. I didn't really think of it as anything in particular. And then the, uh, the pop the cap initiative happened in 2005, I believe it was. And I was in the middle of school then. And Pop the Cap basically was when, before Pop the Cap happened, uh, North Carolina couldn't produce or sell alcohol or beer beverages that were above 6% alcohol, which if you look at, you know, popular styles, like the most popular style for craft beer, at least in the United States is IPA, which is six and a half and over percent on average, you know, so like a lot of craft breweries and a lot of breweries that were coming to the state basically weren't available. So they changed that law from 6% to 15%. And then all of a sudden there's this large influx of all these different uh, craft breweries being available. And I would go to these, you know, tastings where my friends would bring some over from out of state. And you know, I was used to just, you know, your typical Budweiser, Miller, Coors, uh, you know, I joke is like the carbonated cold, uh, you know, flavorless type of beer. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I would have something like, here's, here's this imperial stout or this breakfast stout. I'm like, why is it? black and smells like coffee and I'm like what does that mean and they're like it's more expensive and harder to get i'm like that's not a definition but i actually like this this is actually kind of cool and when these new brands started coming in i kind of fell down the rabbit hole of like this isn't just simply a thing that's mass produced this is a thing that actually has a story to it and the styles themselves which there's a there's a huge amount of style variations out there they all have these cool historical stories to why they are what they are and then the brewery's interpretation of it can be something from the brewer's personal perspective or a thing with their town or with their company or a charity and things like that. So there's all this huge amount of story and 
and art that was put into these beers that you like you could taste the intent and everything like that in it. And I just fell in love with the idea that you could use this medium as an artistic expression. And my, my dad was a professional uh, entertainer, music musician. And I've always loved music and I've always dabbled in it, but I've never had like the talent for it. I never had the talent to do it. I always wanted to artistically express something. And all of a sudden I started looking into how he made beer. And I was like, this is not just like mixing a cocktail because I kind of like gotten into craft cocktails around that time. Um, and I, this is an add one thing and two things to shake it. No, this was the whole fermentation process using naturally occurring ingredients that, you know, you can kill them and use these different varieties of hops and you can, there was kind of like no limit to what you could do with it. And I was like, this is something that is way more nerdy than I was expecting it to be. And being in, being in a, a, in a medical science background was sort of what I was studying for it. It just kind of shot right up my alley you know, with working with bioscience with it and, you know, fluid dynamics and things of that nature. Um, and I started helping some friends homebrew and I was like, this is it. Like, I, I, I want to do this. This is everything I want in a, in a job because I get to artistically think of something that can be consumed by someone else, literally, not just like consuming it from looking at, it, at, at something else. Like you can literally consume the artistic intent. You can, you can have the physical interaction with it. So you're having a physical stimulus at the work. Uh, you get to uh, do mathematical and chemistry, you know, problem solving with it and logistics problem solving. So you have, you know, a further, uh, you know, mental stimulus with that. And then you get to have this great social outlet that, uh, you know, in itself, the product is a social lubricant, so to speak. You know, so I was like, that's everything I could want in a, in a, in a job. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm ready to graduate with a medical degree in like two weeks. <laughs> you know? And so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get into this thing. So, yeah, so I went, you know, I went into the medical field, but with the full intention of using any avenue that could, you know, present itself to me um, to get into the beer world, hopefully, you know, into the production side of it. And I spent the next several years spending all my free time uh, pursuing that. You talked a little bit about how your parents inspired you in their careers, and I know your dad had a unique career can you talk a little bit about how he's been an inspiration for you yeah my dad my dad was the best he really was um, the uh yeah, to, 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 to the to the present i couldn't really drink anything at all i told them that i wanted to be a brewer and they saw that i had the um the the energy that my dad does did for his, uh, his uh, profession uh they're like 100 percent but they didn't understand anything about it. They were super supportive. And the whole way through it was uh, the, uh, one of the nation's top Elvis players. So there's, there's that. He had a full team piece band. He's also credited with being one of the first five Elvis tribute acts uh, in, the, uh, in, in the world. So, so I spent my whole formative years traveling around with my dad, um, working shows with him, and, you know, occasionally playing little bit parts uh, on the stuff like that. Uh -oh. Did we lose him completely? I think. Sorry, I don't know what happened. Um, but yeah, I got to. My dad always said that um, that he, uh, you know, on stage, he, it's never a job. He does it because he loves it, and um, and he, you know, that was the main source of income for our family. You know, and he worked himself you know, to death with it. And, uh, and he had such energy in what he did, you know, and, and he got known in, you know, certain circles really well from that. 
And I always kind of felt like I would love to do something like that, but I don't think I could do the Elvis thing all that well. <laughs> and, uh, and I definitely can't sing, you know. Did we lose him again? I think so. Oh. Oh dear. Well, you know, I you, one thing that if we have lost him, I know that uh, we had a couple of comments that I thought were really interesting. You know, all small businesses have to go through chaos to get where we want to go. There's, there's Chad. Are you there? Yeah, but for what, I, for what I was trying to say is I'm very lucky that I found something that I was, that I could actually put my thumb on this being like, that's the thing I want to do. And I know a lot of people don't necessarily get that, especially in you know, their early twenties, like I did. Um, but I think that it's never too late to start feeling completely empowered and impassioned to do something either for that matter. And the efforts that, you know, I still put the same amount of effort in today, uh, as I did then, you still you still wake up at midnight a lot of nights to come in to, to start a shift at 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And if anything goes south, which luckily we have it down well enough now that it's horrible things don't happen on the opposite where I need to sleep over or whatever. But if we have to stay late for something, if there's a thing that, that comes up, you know, it's going to get done, you know, and, and you it, it, it goes without question and it goes without, um, you know, even a, a second thought is like, you know, this is our, this is our baby. You know, we have to do what we have to do to make sure it's safe and make sure that it goes forward. And I'm very lucky that I got to have a passion for something like that uh, to, to get to, to, to push that sort of effort out of it. Cause if I didn't have that passion, I, I it just wouldn't be there. Yeah. So what you kind of, we kind of are hearing it for the passion that you speak with with everything but what matters most to you when you wake up in the day what is what's the first thing that comes to mind that matters most to you oh that's uh that's i mean for the business or just in life in general <laughs> so um you kind know, of both I, you know uh, kind of what's, I think the, what's your um what's what drives you i think the thing the thing that makes me the most driven right now when I wake up first thing in the morning is that uh, I want everything I do in the day to try to bring as much positivity to the things that I have interaction with. Yeah, but, but basically, um, I want all the efforts that I've put in the day to, to make sure that it betters the company's existence, my existence in proxy to it, and that my uh, positive results from it affects my wife and our, and our house's positive results. I want to come home not feeling like I've just like beat myself to death, but like I beat myself up for something that was actually worthwhile. And I'm excited about something that's coming out and that brings a positivity back home as well as, you know, this you note know, for our household and whatnot. Uh, and as long as, as long as there's that and that she and I are safe, then I'm happy. And that's, so that's the only things I'm really worried about when I wake up. Well, I think you have overcome this Zoom and yeah. the difficulties, <laughs> persevered through the obstacles of Zoom. Yeah. Um, we did have a question. Valerie asked, how hard was the alcohol approval process in North Carolina? The alcohol approval process isn't that bad uh, when you're going brand to brand. Uh, it's when you cross states that it's really hard. Uh, getting the initial ABC licensing is kind of just a constant like up and down thing. Uh, our president, Susie, had to deal with that a lot. And it, it, was, it was the biggest problem that we had was getting city approval for build out on stuff. 
that was the, the hardest thing. And after that, we just kind of got in the habit of constantly getting approved for new brands and whatnot. And as long as you're, you're, you just, you uh, fully disclose any odd non-typical products, like you're throwing coconut or, you know, chocolate or honey or something like that in it, they usually are pretty good with it. And as long as you stay in the right alcohol cap, if it's under 15%, then it's usually okay. The only time that it's hard and it's really just more so the, the wait period is when you go across uh, state lines, it takes you a little bit longer to get it approved there. Yeah. Susie asked, um, would you be able to talk a little bit about some competitors um, who are also collaborators? I know you've done a lot with that now with the recent Queen City Brewers Fest release yeah. that you did. What are your yeah, thoughts it, there? It's, I really don't think, I don't really think of other craft brewers as competitors as much as uh, energizers and collaborator potentials, you know? Like you, right, all, you know, the rising, uh, was it the rising tide rises on those ships or something like that. But basically, the more, the more if we were the only uh, brewery in town, we would not be as good as we are. That's, I can say that like easily. The, the, the quality of brewers around here grows every single year. And there's, there's like, extremely fun and exciting and talented amount of people in it that I look forward to meeting and, and, and working with. But I also really love the fact that their creativity inspires creativity on us. And we don't like to, I don't like to scalp ideas, but the idea is like, you know, like, that was a really cool thing. Let's put our own spin on this thing. Or someone, you know, we could see something that we did that someone else did their own kind of take on. And I don't really look at it as like competing. I mean, like a, I mean on, on, uh, on, in black and white form, yeah, we are selling the same products, competing for the same shelf space and stuff like that. But in reality, like we are only pushing ourselves as hard as we can because the, you know, the, the level of talent that we are working with is rising year and year and year. And that just makes us want to be better. And the, the Queen City Beer Festival thing was, was an awesome experience. And I actually got asked by the organizer that to make, I'll make the, the base recipe for it. And we sent it out and I was like, hey, you know, me and uh, the head brewer over at Resident Culture, we worked together on it. And we're like, here's the basic concept and go crazy with it. Let your personality flow. So the, the variety that came out of that, I think had like 48 breweries participating in just the greater Charlotte area. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of speaks to how cool this community is. And, and, and that's another thing too, even when we were starting up and there wasn't a lot of breweries immediately around, you could ask any brewery in any other state a question and more than likely they get back to you with some sort of an answer, whether it be helpful or be the exact opposite thing of what you want it to be. Like the, the amount of assistance and, and, you know, tips that people give is, is, is never ending. So it's a, it's a great community. A final, very tough question. This is the hardest one, probably. Do you have a favorite beer you've brewed? Um, right now, the it changes like every couple of months. But right now, by kind of all the year-round beers we do is probably Radio Haze because that's our hazy, juicy year-round IPA. Because I spent over a year trying to do R and D on it, and it has brought such a, a finer understanding of like really small microchasms of science in the industry that I knew were there, but very few people were trying to work with. So it just really brought horizons, and uh, we've come out with since. Then piggyback off stuff that we learned from it. So while I love them fairly because of the, the amount of work that went in before we finally put it through, really happy how it comes out. Well, thank, I think we can all now have a better appreciation for no to beer and just the passion. I know after having met you a while ago, I'm like, there is love in this beer and you can taste it. You work hard, you're passionate about it. It shows. And I think that's what helps bring a lot of success to the brewery. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think, and, and not just to ours, but to, to any good craft brewery. I mean, you know, it, it is, it is about the story, you know, brewers work their butts off and, and really go on a very thin line of, of basically barely making it to get something that they're really passionate about. And I think you can taste the efforts. Uh, every beer might not be for everybody. But that's why you make a bunch of different ones, you know, and so, uh, you know, the, the concerted effort of the entire industry is pretty uniform in that everyone really just pour their heart and soul on uh, out into it. And that's why they call it craft. I don't really put it in for like how many barrels you make a year or how much money the, the company makes. And if you can taste the heart and soul behind it, it's craft beer. Awesome. Thank you, Chad. Thank you so much for doing this. And we're sorry about all the Zoom Absolutely. difficulties. <laughs> Listen, it, it's sure it was hard. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> it's a part of our world today, isn't it? You know, the dogs barking and the kids uh, doing the photo bombs and all of that. I have a dog snoring behind me right now, and I'm hoping that he's not, <laughs> not hearing that. Oh, well, thank you, Chad. Um, and thank you, Jess. You know, one thing Jess had said about you, Chad, is that you are uh, your spokesperson for your community and you've taught us so many things today that I, I did not know. And, you know, just leaving us with, that's why they call it craft beer. I thought, wow, there is such artistic expression and love as Jess said in, in the product. So thank you, thank you. Okay, everyone. Well, please mark- Thank you guys, really Yeah. Please mark your calendar for March 11th when our topic will be uh, the new networking. And our guest is Stacy Cassio. I had to stop and slow down to say that. I've been calling her Stacio. <laughs> so, <laughs> Stacy Cassio, CEO of Pink Network. And we hope that you'll join us for that. We'll be sending you a note about it. But once again, thank you, Chad. And thank you, Jess. Thanks, everybody.